Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 517 on a Tuesday, the 14th of March, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be looking at how we are told to use our cars less whilst funds dry up for the alternatives. We look forward to the lazy headlines of it's just a phone on wheels instead of a computer. And we suggest you watch a man talk to a camera. But first, we have some follow-up. Thanks to our incredibly unsubtle and unfair live calling out of one of our listeners. <laughs> we have more information. I thought you cut that in the end. No, no, I left that bit in. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, fair enough. We have information about camera wing mirrors for lorries and how good or not they are. And it is very good. Jamie Fretwell, who is PR and Corporate Communications Manager for Mercedes Trucks in the UK, was kind enough to humour us and reply. And there is a link in the show notes uh, of a, a Twitter thread, but um, the bit I'm putting in primarily, and you can scroll through the rest, shows the video of the, the camera uh, wing mirrors in action and where the screens are actually positioned, which in the lorry is a really good position because it's where you expect to look for a wing mirror. <laughs> There is a second link as well, because Jamie goes and talks about awareness campaigns within other countries. The, the, the blind spot awareness stuff. Yes. And there's an incredibly funny one from Australia, which we feel you should have a look at as well. Do click through on both the links in the show notes, because it's a very good one. Meanwhile, the UK government is moving us towards zero carbon dioxide emissions, mm -hmm. uh, so on and so forth, and wanting us to be cleaner and greener about the way we travel around a place, either locally or over greater distances. Now, they paused HS2, <laughs> uh, and there was a big announcement about that because, of course, not that many people are wonderfully in favour of HS2. It does seem to be cutting up an awful lot of the countryside for very little benefit. But hidden away in that same announcement where HS2 got all the headlines were many other cuts to other forms of, of transport that weren't driving, really. Mm. One of the key ones was the active travel funding cuts for England. The, the funds to that have been cut by £200 million. That's quite a significant amount of money. What that's doing is it's cutting out our ability to put in uh, some of the infrastructure that maybe the UK has been lacking for a long, long time, like decent, proper cycling lanes mm. uh, that are meant for bicycles, as opposed to necessarily being shared spaces or, or meaning that people have to take their bicycles and their little trailers through parks and stuff and then complain that they get stuck. Yes. Just all <laughs> these kind of things, walking uh, routes, uh, you know, uh, shorter, better pathways, for example, across towns. And all these kind of things. So that's been cut quite significantly. Yeah, the UK government has got a target of 50% of all journeys in English towns and cities to be walked or cycled by 2030. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, I, yes. I, the thing is, how do they expect it to happen? We want you to do this. We want to do that. You know, we want to do this. It helps cut this thing, this thing, and this thing. But to implement any of these things, it does take money. Yeah. That's the trade-off. If you want it done, you have to pay for it. People aren't going to magically rock up and go, hey, here's that free cycle lane because we feel like making it for you. Yeah, the, or, it's, it just, or it's the big stick. We will make it 
so difficult and expensive to use any other form of transportation. Well, they're pretty good at that one, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. It is tricky, especially when this is stuff that has already, you know, in many cases, this is stuff that's already been planned in, that people, that projects have already been been set up, been triggered, and now all of a sudden they're kind of having to stop halfway, which is worse than not having them, not being, not being given the given the funds in the first place, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on from my grumbling about that, shall we, Andrew? And into some new news. Yeah, new news. And we're going to go to the US of A. And the news that VW is going to put a factory in South Carolina to build the Scout Motors vehicles. Scout Motors is very famous. It's a startup. It's a startup. It's not. It's a startup. It's part of Volkswagen. It can't be a startup. Don't be silly. They may wish to have startup aspirations and attitudes, but it is not a startup and it won't have those attitudes because it's still got to answer back to the mothership in Germany. (laughs) Yeah, which is as unlike a startup as I think you could ever imagine. Yeah, quite. Scout Motors is a famous brand from America that had died away. This is Volkswagen's attempt to get back in the US market without bringing Volkswagen there because that's not that wonderful a brand at the moment, thanks to certain things that may have happened since we started this show. <laughs> Doesn't seem to mean that there aren't many new ones on the road, of course. No, no, not at all. But they're doing this because the US, and we've discussed this before, but the US has brought in the Inflation Reduction Act, which is effectively protectionism but it incentivizes companies incentivizes it's a big stick with some cash <laughs> that you need to build your your vehicle there's a combination of stick and carrot here there's a stick for the manufacturer and a carrot for the for the buyer yeah that you will there will be penalties if you do not build your vehicles in the US but also the consumer will get money to buy vehicles that are built in the US quite a lot in some yeah. cases. And they've they've made this move. They said they always said they were going to do it. However, uh, they said with the uh, Volkswagen said that with the act coming into place that this just moved the timeline up mm-hmm. significantly so they they're moving quicker. They're doing it themselves because there was a lot of talk that they were going to be with Foxconn that we're going to basically build it for them and they just stick a badge on at the end type thing, but that's not the case now. Yeah. Scout Motors themselves will look after this and they're going to be doing mm-hmm. it all. But I think the interesting bit of all this is how the, Europe still hasn't got an answer to what the US and China are doing. Yes. Yeah, it's true. And it's being made it's worse true. at the minute with the arguments that are still ongoing over the 2035 combustion engine ban or not. Uh, we yet to see. Mm-hmm. We will obviously update you on that. Um, there's lots of... Lots of moves happening over the weekend, but there's nothing firm come out, so we haven't included it in this week's show. You know what's going to happen, don't you? There's going to be all the stuff in China. There's all the stuff here in the US. But then there's going to be something in Europe, and the UK with no battery plants or anything is going to be is going to be all on its own, a little island, not able to sell into anywhere. No, we're just going to Sorry. import. We're going to be like Australia. We're following the Australian model, which is we had, because we had at similar levels of new car registrations a year. And they've got a tinier mm. population than we have. And we'll mm-hmm. just import and pay extra for it. That's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Really clear, unfortunately. Yep. Anyway, stick with the US, please. <sighs> which happy news. Well, yes, the 2024 Ford Mustang, one of the big stories about that car, which I'm sure in, in the UK you can't wait to hear about, 
is that it's going to be the next car to lose AM radio. Think back, folks. When was the last time any of you used AM radio? Not since Dab. No, not e- not e- well, not since Dab. I was going to say not even you cricketer cricket listening people. No, Longwave. Oh, of course, yeah, Radio Four is Longwave. So, uh, so yes, so they're cutting that out of the next generation Mustang. They're saying, well, look, it doesn't matter. It's it's you know it's outlasted eight track cassette, compact disc, all these kind of things, and frankly. People stream stuff to their phone or they use digital radio, they use FM these days. It's not really necessary. I think the the advantage was that AM went further uh, across empty parts of America. Yeah. Well, I know uh, through discussing it with James Cridland, who is the editor of Pod News, but also he writes a lot about radio, uh, having been in the industry for years. Uh, He was Mm. saying that a lot of Europe has already switched it off or is in the process of doing so. And it's only Australia, Canada, and the US that really have it left anymore. Again, but, big, big empty places. Yeah, but everybody's got the options now. As you said, DAB, FM, uh, or, podcasts. Or they, or they don't listen to the radio at all. They listen to uh, things like podcasts or audiobooks. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. Next up, then, Andrew, is Tesla and full self-driving recall. Yeah, we're taking this article from SAE International, and they are the organization that sets the levels for, or or has set so far, the apparent levels for autonomous or automated driving. They're a standards organization. Yes. They have an article titled, Tesla's FSD Recall Impacts AV Industry. They've spoken to a few experts in the field regarding automated and autonomous vehicles and trying to find if there's any lessons that the autonomous vehicle industry can get from this because, and as is made very clear in this article, and anyone who listens to us knows this themselves, but full self-driving beta is not full self-driving or autonomous in any way. And Tesla But it says it in the name, though. It says the name is full self... So it must be. No, no, no. It can't can't be, Alan, because they've made it very clear in some sub-pages on their website that it is only level two. And the driver is always in control and always responsible, even when the software goes wrong. You're in... You're in for the in the basement behind a filing cabinet yes. and a locked door with a with a poster on it saying "Beware of the Tiger." Yes, yes quite. that's where it says it. <laughs> but I do encourage you to click through the link on the show notes to have a read of this because it's got the likes of Missy Cummings, who um, the U.S. government had brought in to help advise them on autonomous uh, and automated vehicle stuff. Mm-hmm. It's also got Sam Abwell Smead who previous career was working in uh, automated and driver assistance tech, but he now is a columnist uh, and also has the uh, excellent Wheel Bearings podcast where he talks about this sort of stuff, where he talks about the things. But there's also Michael DeCourt, who is also very vocal about the problems with how the autonomous vehicle industry is trying to create their cars um, but do go through and read in the, the link in the show notes so that you can get a better understanding of where things are. It's quite a short article, but it is absolutely chock full of interesting stuff. I mean, it is concentrated facts yes, and opinion. There is no filler in this article no, at all, so no it's well it. worth... <laughs> no, exactly. So it's going to really take you well, five to ten minutes to read, but it is, it is just thick. Every sentence contains 
contains useful stuff. Yep. Do you want to bring us back to Britain and see if you can clearly see what's going on? As you can clearly see, yes. There's been a, a couple of stories this week about a system called the Envisix uh, Holographic HUD. And this story from designnews.com is saying that the technology is ready for prime time. So let me explain what it is, first of all. So the idea is that it's using the entirety of your windscreen, the inside of your windscreen, as a head-up display. So as well as the usual stuff like battery charge, fuel level, uh, speed limit, actual speed you're going at, next navigation direction, what you set the cruise control at, that, that sort of key stuff which can or can't, or which you can choose to or choose not to show just down at the bottom of the screen uh, for you in, in many cars these days. So we can show all that, but the idea is that using more of the screen, it can uh, project other images in front of the driver. Uh, when I say project other images, what I mean is that it can use whatever systems there are to analyze what other vehicles and other things there might be happening around you, and to use additional graphic devices to potentially highlight those to the driver to point them out and to make them potentially more obvious. For example, if there is a motorcyclist, possibly in the wrong lane, it will highlight the motorcyclist with, in the image that's shown here, a little yellow circle sort of underneath the motorcycle, and then a a red diamond and exclamation mark to highlight that to you. I don't know about anyone else here. Now, I'm a huge fan of head-up displays. It's great as, as yes. someone who wears glasses when I'm driving. The only time I don't like them is if I'm wearing polarized, polarized sunglasses, uh, because then sometimes they get very, very dim. But I'm wearing polarized sunglasses. That's my problem. What I think I'm less keen on here is any kind of system which is going to start flashing distractions onto the screen in front of me. And I think that whenever, and, and I, this sort of stuff worries me for that point of view. I mean, I'm, I'm okay if it's going to show me, I think in my mind, I'm okay if it's going to show me maybe where I should be turning right or where I should be turning left, because there'll be a voice prompt and something will tell me that. This is more like having my mum in the passenger seat is what worries me with added visualness as well. So it's, have you seen the motorcyclist? Have you seen it? Have you seen, have you seen the car that's coming out of the junction up ahead? Have you seen this? Have you seen, look, the lane's about to narrow. Have, have you seen that? Are you sure about that? Ooh, ah, ooh. And, and it's, it's the sort of electronic equivalent of that. Now I've just made my mom sound like a worse passenger than the poor passenger she already is. She doesn't listen. Uh, the <laughs> <laughs> Please don't listen to this one, Mom. Um, but she's, oh, she's not as bad as she used to be. Uh, but she, you know, uh, but it's that kind of thing of having someone beside you going and sucking through their teeth. And I don't want that visual distraction. It's bad enough with just her there. It's an audio distraction. But a visual distraction as well, I just don't like it. It feels to me, and I said, said this on Twitter the other day, uh, yesterday, I think, it feels to me like this is like, oh, we've spent all this money on all these systems preparing us for AI that can spot all these hazards and stuff. And now autonomous vehicles, so the, 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 the hype curve is dropping like a stone. We're going to end up with this money invested and nothing to do with this technology. So let's show it to the driver instead. 
it's just a head, it's a head up display version of that thing on Tesla, which identifies everything as a truck. Badly, yeah. Badly. The badly is the bit that really worries me. So I don't yeah. want the visual distractions. I don't want it doing it wrong. I don't want it doing it in the first place, to be perfectly honest, because if I, I want it to be my fault. Yes. And so I just think on so many levels, it's not a good idea. It's a very cool technology. I just don't think this is a good idea at all across the board. No, the, the beauty of a head-up display is it gives you just the vital little bits of information. So it really is, you, you can hone it down to like the speed, the direction, uh, you know, maybe the speed you should be going. And that's all you need to know as a driver, because then the rest of the screen is I haven't clear. said the thing I really dislike yet, actually. I forgot about that. So I'll let I'll you finish I'll probably get to that, that in a second. Um, really? This... Uh, <laughs> Using the whole screen to have things flashing up, and this opening par- there's an opening paragraph underneath the first picture that says, driver distraction from the proliferation of display screens in cars can be alleviated by the adoption of augmented reality holographic <laughs> technology. And no, it doesn't. It actually just makes it so Either much we're going worse. to give you one massive, big, distracting screen that's right that you can't not look at in order to drive the car. It's that simple. Apart from its throwing things up at you, there's the ability for it to correctly ed- identify anything which you mm-hmm. you touched on before with you know talking about tesla which i don't believe it'll ever do no one of the, the video that it displays in this article is showing off adverts <laughs> this is this is the one that really gets me someone went to adverts we won't distract you drivers but we're going to throw adverts up there and i cannot express how angry that makes me without swearing massively for about 5 minutes and that, that's one of the well, one of their plus points is, oh, we can throw an advert in there. Great. That means car manufacturers will definitely do it because they won't think it through about how we don't want to see adverts because adverts are the only solution to making money these days, apparently. That's the only thought process. And therefore, yeah. uh, it'll fix it all. I don't agree with either the way that they talk about, oh, we're going to put lines on the road to show you what to follow and all the rest of it, because people will just mindlessly follow that mm-hmm. without looking around and taking into account the the conditions or anything else. So if the car has not spotted everything, which it won't, because mm-hmm. we know that now, then you we are going to cause accidents. But, ah, you're the driver, you're in control, that's your fault. And yes, you should be paying more attention. It's it's such a dreadful, dreadful idea. And so many people have got pant-wettingly excited about it. They just haven't thought this through <laughs> at all. I agree. I'm sorry, if there's anything I can take credit from over the past six years, it's the fact that Andrew used the term pant-wettingly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree completely. The, the advert thing, like, start coffee, two for one till 9 a.m., flashing that stuff. That's what I'm talking about with the distractions and stuff. Because your eye will be drawn to it. Oh, it, it, even in the little video here, it, it can't, you can't help but be drawn to it. It's just such a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. We need to start calling it out more. I think we've done that for about five minutes now. That's us, but the rest of... I know. It just... Come on, people, because it's really... It is really awful. Yeah. Should we move on to something good, though? Yes, I'm going to talk about something positive for a change. Well, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag for the next few stories, but let's do a good one first. Yes. We talked back in January about the Teva 7.5 ton or Teva 7.5 ton electric truck that got the uh, European Community whole vehicle type approval, mm-hmm. uh, which basically means it can sell its vehicle now and it's it's all good and everything. Well, it turns out now that they are actually eligible for the UK government's 
uh, plug-in truck grant. Anyone purchasing one of these can get up to £16,000 grant on to help purchase it. And I think that's just brilliant. That is another positive grown-up step because we're discussing far too many companies that seem to miss certain bits of the business side of things out, yeah. <laughs> which is rather depressing. But they seem to be approaching this from this distance and, all, and only the bits that we can see like adults and knocking bits off one at a time that will help make it a sustainable company. But I really like the look of the lorry. I mean, it's a lorry, but I, mm. I really like the look of it. And uh, seven and a half tons means it's usable, very usable in built up in urban areas. Just for in the interest of balance and a BBC-esque move. Careful. Uh, we're banning Andrew from Careful. tweeting. Uh, <laughs> there's the Fuso E-Canter and the Paneltex Z75 also qualify within that for the grant within the same category. There are options now. There are options. Good. Uh, next one, Arrival. Mm -hmm. Talked a lot about Arrival very quickly. They've had an, an executive reshuffle. Their founder is stepping down as, as chief of the electric vehicle startup. And uh, so Dennis Sverdlov is going to be replaced by... Igor Torgov as CEO. Thank you. Uh, who was former head of Marvel Entertainment. So how's about that for jumping categories and verticals? However, they're opening a $300 million equity financing line. They are doing a reverse stock split, whatever that means, to keep their shares above $1 so that they can stay on NASDAQ the sort of te uh, technical uh, stock exchange. They're aiming to cut their cash burn to $35 million per month instead of $126 million. Per quarter. Per quarter, not per month. Did, what did I say? Oh, sorry. Pardon. Still eye-watering, no, by the way. No, no, no. Aims to cut the cash burn to $35 million per month, and it was $126 million per month in Q4. Uh, it says in their statement, lowering the company's current targeted cash spend to no more than $35 million per quarter. Oh, there we go. Okay, whoops. There's a mistake in Peter Gamble's yes. tweet then, which is what I was reading because i not got a big enough brain to pass the article at the same time. But they're still looking for funds to build the US plant. They're still going to build 10 trial uh, vehicles and testing vehicles in Abingdon at the factory there, if there's, you know, any people and any tools left. And they're going to uh, and use those for the majority of the testing, but they do want to be building uh, a plant uh, in the US. Yes. I like the fact that they, they are going to target by the end of 2024 the XL van, which is more US-centric, mm. and that will be produced as long as they can get the money to build the plant to build the, <laughs> to build the van. Yes. So oh, I, I, I still am not confident in Arrival doing things, mm. really. It does seem to be going a little bit Faraday future. Yes. Stringing on and hanging on and hanging on before withering on the vine. But anyway, another company that does have a factory and does have vans being made, but is looking to sort of switch stuff up a little bit, pun not intended, is Rivian. Andrew, do you want to tell us a little bit more about them and Amazon? Yeah, the headline for this one is Rivian wants out of exclusive Amazon electric van deal. The word on the street is apparently, that's a thing, I've been generous here by saying that, because there's lots of sources who refuse to give their names. <laughs> Because well, there's negotiations ongoing. But mm. Amazon and Rivian announced a deal back in 21 of 100,000 electric delivery vans going to be delivered to Amazon by 2030. Oh, sorry, 2019. It wasn't 2021. By 2030. 
So this meant that Rivian was one of the few companies that actually had a bona fide actual customer who had agreed to take on a certain amount of vehicles off them, gave them a lot of kudos, gave the stock exchange confidence in the reality of their product. Understandably. And that they had a business model and all these other things that we've we've talked about with other companies. But this year, Amazon are only going to take 10,000 of the vehicles, which is a lot less than Rivian were hoping. So they're now trying to negotiate and say, look, can we deliver to other people, please? Because we need more. We need more of these to go out through the door, please, to, to be to continue to be viable and not hemorrhage money. Mm. Obviously, with the way that things are financially across the globe, Amazon is not doing as well as it was in the pandemic. And no. <laughs> as so many companies aren't. Therefore, they have been cutting costs, and this is one way that they're going to cut costs is to not bring forward their orders as quickly mm. as um, somebody was hoping. Yeah, so Rivian are hoping to be able to split out of that so it's not an exclusive deal so they can sell to others. Yeah. And they have vehicles, they have a manufacturing plant. They're trying to get ahead of Ford, Stellantis, Daimler. Well, that's it. Everybody, Basically, everybody else is going to have viable vans very soon. Well, the e-transit's going to hit US streets almost immediately. It's imminent here and built, funnily enough, going right back to the inflation thingy uh, act. It's the e-transit is built in America. It gets a full bald eagle grant and all these kind of things. You need to be ahead of those existing companies. I think the people, I think it's manufacturers like Freightliner and some of these people who build the crummy old sheds, which are used as delivery vehicles by FedEx, UPS, etc., who who are actually going to miss out. I think the, the smaller vans for companies that use like plumbers and stuff, then they're going to be more likely to be the e-transits, to be honest. I think these Rivians have a more focused market. Yeah. But if you want to see how big that focused market is, you have to walk half a quarter of a mile down the street from my apartment to the big FedEx depot and just see how big that market could actually be. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to run us around the UK in a MX-5? Very quickly, and it's really not so much about Mazda and not so much about the MX-5, this uh, this one, but it's that uh, Mazda has done a thousand-mile drive around the UK, going to race circuits in uh, each home nation. And the point about this is that it has done it using Sustain, which is 100% sustainable road fuel. And this doesn't say petrol. Fossil oh, yeah, it does. Free. It says free sustainable petrol. Yes, it is, and it is fossil free, made in the UK. And it did this in a two litre MX5 uh, Roadster, which was absolutely bone stock. So this really was a way of showing off that normal cars can run on this waste. Yeah, because it was 100% agricultural waste, wasn't it? Such as, um, um, yes, there's a link in the show notes to the article, but the article states, straw byproducts and waste from crops that wouldn't be used for consumption yeah this purely was just agricultural waste at this point it was powered by leftovers and by stuff that would otherwise have been chucked or whatever so i mean that's i think that that's cool i think it's a good little demonstration that these fuels exist Mm. and can continue to be interested to know what the price is per liter definitely an an interesting one an interesting exercise there yeah just to, to show both yeah, do click through on the, the link in the show notes, not only to read about this, but there's some stunning photographs as well. Oh, there are some fantastic photos. A great one of the fourth bridge. Mm. And, and the MX-5 and the fourth bridge. And, and of course, Anglesey is always pretty in the light. Yep. Do have a click through. Really interesting story uh, and interested to see biofuels that maybe we hadn't really heard of being talked about. Yeah, and we're not 
pretending that that's going to solve all issues with internal combustion engines or anything like that was that's not what we're saying but we, it's just an interesting other option aren't we I, I thought that's what we were meant to be doing <laughs> are, we, are we not going to say that that's it no and it's amazing you can refuel it in five or six minutes and it'll go further than the bladder let's not all fall into the fundamentalist arguments from either side please <laughs> i saw someone use that one the other day i don't know if it helps or not but i managed to fill up and drive for nine hours before stopping it was just like yeah, let's see. <laughs> anyway, I think that draws us to the end of the first part, Alan. It does, which means it's Guilt Minute. Quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. Uh, if you feel the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. I'm going to take us into new, new car news. I shall start with the 2023 Hyundai Kona, which has been redone from the ground up, the second generation of the Kona. And it was originally planned as an EV first, and then they've added or shoehorned in FEV and ICE stuff that you would typically see throughout the rest of the range. But there are obvious nods when it comes to the electric-only version to the Ionic Mm. design side of things. They've got that 8-bit lighting and and elements to it that you see on the Ionic 5 in particular. There's the uh, light strip across the rear, which is very much blocked LEDs, um, which is really funky. They've made it bigger. They've made it nicer looking, nicer inside, and just a bit posher, really, I think is the Hmm. technical term for it, all the way around. It's going to have the same, pretty much the same powertrain and battery stuff underneath because uh, it does have the ability to be used as a, a FEV or an um, or the platform does have the ability to be used as a FEV or ICE vehicle. So therefore, it is only going to have the slightly slower battery recharging, not like the Ionic 5. So it's uh, it's about 40 minutes to get to 80%. It's a sub-model to the, to the Ionic 5, really. Yeah. As I was saying when we were chatting through the stories before, the sh- before recording, in the at the minute here in the US, the Kona EV is it's about the smallest EV you can buy. It's sort of to the US is the equivalent of, of the Fiat 500e in, in Europe <laughs> in, in relative terms. And to be honest, that that it's using essentially the same drivetrain is not a bad thing. The Kona EV great range. Mm. It's got a great range and it's quick and then all these other things. I mean, this one actually, to be honest, is going to be the long range version is going to offer 304 miles. Uh, that's more than, than offered currently. Yeah. Um, so just because it's a bit bigger and everything doesn't mean it's less efficient. No, they, they, they made the interior larger as well by moving things around. So like the drive selector is now going to be on, oh, it's on stalk behind the steering wheel, as opposed to down on the, um, in the trans well what would have been a transmission tunnel and the interior does also retain buttons and knobs which we all cheer and wave our flags and pop party poppers out of celebration of which is good to see it's going to sell well i like the current kona ev Uh, i like it a lot Uh, no news on price yet it's expected to 
be around slightly more than what the existing is. So they're thinking starting around thirty six thousand pounds. This is for the EV version, by the way. That's that's a in EV terms. That's a bit of a bug. Next up, Chinese smartphone company Xiaomi has confirmed that it's going to be launching an electric saloon in 2024. The Xiaomi MS11 is going to be a Tesla Model 3 rival. <laughs> and it comes with a comes with a BYD battery option and a high level of autonomy. It is like also McLaren's headlights. And yes, and it's stolen headlamps from from McLaren. It is I don't know. I mean just what I've read there is it reads like buzzword bingo and, and it's difficult you know, to tell too much from the pictures because they were leaked really pictures is. from uh, january but it you know it, it's an ev saloon it's, it's not a generic to look at it's, yeah, ge- it's generic ev saloon inoffensive but it's from big chinese company and that's kind of worth keeping an eye on what i am concerned with though is that there, there was talk back in 2021 of them coming in and uh, what investment they were going to make mm. into the electric car division. And they've talked about uh-huh. £1.2 billion over 10 years. Now, as we know with... That's not a lot. No. Sorry. That's what I'm worried about. As we know with, I don't know, say, bringing a vehicle to market with recent examples, <laughs> mm. that's far too cheap. Yes. I understand they're using other people's technology, like they're using the BYD battery pack and stuff like that, but yeah. still, it's still quite low. It's worth saying, though, if you do think that there are many, many hurdles to overcome, the co-founder and CEO, Lai Jun, is the deputy of China National People's Congress as well. So I imagine when it comes to being able to get things done, he is quite able to get things done. Mm. Mm. Right, I'm going to move on to the UK car of the year now. Uh, and the f- and the overall winner was named last week, Friday last week. And the MG4, congratulations to MG. They have uh, been crowned the overall UK car of the year 2023. Uh, also, congratulations to Dacia for the Jogger was second and Toyota for the GR86 in third. Jolly good. But well done. Looking at how many keep going through the door for MG and the new car registration figures, they have found a product that people want and definitely at a price point people want. Mm -hmm. I think we're at points of interest. We are. First in points of interest this week is the Lunchtime Read. And uh, this week it's by uh, Jared Rosenholt and it's on Car Buzz. And it's called Automakers Need to Come Up with Better EV Names. And (laughs) I think there's a point here. I think there's a valid point behind this. And it's just point commenting that some are doing better at it making sense than others. And and some brands get a fair old kicking, Toyota and Polestar. Yes. <laughs> and others get... Um, must do better. And and others get a must do, uh, get a could, could do better, and others are like, well, okay, we understand that it's a sticky plaster Mercedes. It's a good article. It's a nice light-hearted article about this. Yeah. Um, I do like the fact that it reminds me that when it's talking about you know, GM, the GM brands, that, that Buick... Is, is looking to re- reuse the Electra name, which which couldn't be more perfect, really. Yeah. Which I think would be a, a good name. A, a slam dunk, as they say in the US of A. Yes. Yes. Sometimes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm British. Right. I'm going to take us to the list of the week. And once again, 
It is a hard one. It's from Autocar and compiled by David Finley. The coolest concept cars we totally forgot about. There are 45 slides. Well, as ever, I hate these words, so we totally forgot about them. And I, no, I didn't actually. I didn't completely forget about all, all 45 of, of these. Some of them I did, but yes. So, Alan, out of the smorgasbord of fantastic delights. Well, there is some complete crud in there too. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, it's so difficult, but I am going to go for small drum roll, please, whilst I try to find it again. I'm going for the Lancia Mega Gamma from 1978, the year I was born. So, yes, the Mega Gamma is one of the first monospace type vehicles that were shown off. It's by, uh, by Ital Design, which is blatantly obvious that it's Ital Design in the late 1970s, whenever you look at it. And I think it is, it is very cool. It is a good option. There were, there were several other You don't there. think it's cool because it's essentially an MPV. But I am going to pick the Nissan <laughs> yeah. 126X from 1970. It's towards the uh, beginning if you're trying to scroll back. Yeah, God, there's a lot to scroll through. <laughs> and it's an autocar slideshow. And it seems to be doing what old autocar slideshows used to do. And everything is rating over itself. So I have no idea why that is. But yes, if nothing else, I like this car, apart from the looks, which is oh. stunning, is for the fact that the very interior cool. seats seem to have been... Flocked. Are those furry? <laughs> they are. They're furry seats. Do you know what it looks like? It looks like the car out of out of a TV series. Yes. If this had appeared on on screen from some yes future car <laughs> or something, then I could absolutely believe that. It's very cool indeed. It is. And the thing is, whilst I chose a Dowdy MPV with like proper door handles and stuff. This is the epitome of a concept car. I'm glad you chose this because there were others like the Alpha Carabo and, and others mm. that I almost chose but thought that they were too obvious. It's the epitome of a concept car. This one I didn't even know existed. It's it's very, very cool. And you should go look up this article look up this article and, and click through the list and, and see this because it's it's very awesome. Yes, it is. I think that just leaves us with the end finally, Alan. And finally this week, actually it happened last week, but we already had an and finally for last week. A nice man has uh, bought another rotten old shed. <laughs> it's not really a rotten, it's not much of a rotten old shed. A uh, wonderful friend and friend of the show, Chris Pollitt, uh, has sort of rebranded slightly from not too grand to Pollitt's project to try to lift the, lift the price, uh, the price cap on it. And he has bought a V8 Daimler. Uh, you might have seen it. He said, he said it a little while now, but he put out the first video of him uh, cleaning it and making it respectable in his driveway so the neighbors don't complain. And it's lovely in the way that we expect a video presented by Chris to be. 14 and a half minutes of soothing northern accent and man cleans car and pokes at car. <laughs> We're available at a contract price to review all videos or books if you if you feel that that was the best way I've to it. do it. And injustice, do go watch it because it's it is just nice, and it's not. Yes. Hey, you guys! Yeah, it's, it's, let's wrap the wing mirrors in the way that you know you would expect Chris up, to ever do that. It's grown up content, which is 
I don't need to do all these other things. And, and it's just wonderful for it. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad you're back. There's almost running and stuff. And later in the series, there will be a reappearance of Ruben, which is, which is good because he's really what we watch. <laughs> Dry British humor at its best. The, the trouble is, right, I've got the, Chris's, Chris's YouTube page open here. And the trailer is down the right hand side. I see other ones from three years ago, like Rover 820 VTS Sport and W124230E Walk Around. And it's like, <gasps> so yeah, don't look at the 230E videos. Not me, anyway. Everybody else can. Didn't you buy that one for half a million pounds in America? Sure. That naturally aspirated diesel. Yeah. What was up with that? It's <laughs> over $100,000 for a diesel W124. And Sure, it was clean and everything, but and they're lovely, lovely cars. Really, I would have another one uh, in a heartbeat. But what the heck? I mean, this, you don't want to use the words money laundering, but it's got to come <laughs> into your thought process somewhere. It's like, why? What could possibly be the reason for spending that money? Maybe that person has an incredibly fond childhood memory of a diesel Mercedes. For that much money, Mercedes would practically build you a new one. <laughs> if Mercedes Classic get them to build you one from scratch, basically. Anyway, should we move swiftly on from that? Yes, I think we're done. If you want to hear more of this kind of wittery, <laughs> uh, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts on the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please, Leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such things. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you'll find me there. Also, if you prefer to use Mastodon, I am Crack Windscreen there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, best way is probably still via Twitter or I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. But I have the same username uh, on Mastodon as well if you want to get in touch with me there we will be back very soon but until then i've been alan bradley i've been andrew clues and safe motoring